This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. All right, welcome. Once again, we're back. Disability Law Show. So good to have you with us uh, for the next hour or so. Martin Willems is here representing Sanfiru Tamarkin on the West Coast, doing his thing out there. And, of course, Savannah Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, is here and answering a ton of emails and questions. We'll get to a very special guest on the show today, which is going to be awesome. Stick around for this entire thing. It's coming up here in just a minute. But I want to throw out some contact information off the hop if you if you need it any time to Get a hold of Sivan and his team, or Martin and his team, uh, respectively, one 821 5900 The number, email, help at disabilityrights.ca, and another avenue for to ask questions anonymously through your uh, smartphone, tablet, keyboard, home computer, whatever. That would be mydisabilityquestions.com. Got a lot of stuff to cover on the show today, boy, so let's get it happening. Uh, right off the uh, the top, Sivan, yeah, I mentioned we got a very cool guest who we haven't had on for some time on this show. Who do we got? That's right, John. Uh, yeah, this particular guest, I'll introduce him in a second, was actually with us on this show back in March 2019. So almost, actually just over three years ago. Uh, and I mean, holy cow, a lot has happened in the world since then, obviously. One thing that hasn't changed, at least from my perspective, and we'll hear what he has to say, is surveillance and insurance companies conducting surveillance on claimants whether it's personal injury claimants or long-term disability claimants, insurance companies often resort to hiring private investigators, private investigating firms uh, to to photograph, to to videotape, to do social media searches, et cetera, on claimants to find out the legitimacy of those claims. We've talked about this a lot here with you, John, uh, Martin. You know, this comes up quite often. And so the special guest here, his name is Christopher Williams. I've asked him to come on because he actually has a company, a private investigating company. He's a private investigator, very experienced. Uh, and, you know, it's great to have you on, uh, Chris. Uh, let's start with you perhaps giving our listeners a bit of uh, a background about yourself, about your practice. And then we can just get into the nitty gritty, ask you some questions and have a discussion about surveillance in the context of long term disability claims. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. It's been a while. Uh, anything happened in the last couple of years that I need to know about? So, <laughs> um, right. So I've I've been licensed uh, as a private investigator since 1996. Uh, I've worked uh, also in media. Uh, I worked for uh, major uh, media um, conglomerates. I would do um, uh, basically uh, ENG camera work and work specifically for investigative programming. So I like to tell a client. You may not have hired me, but you've probably seen my work. Hmm. Um, so after I left uh, the broadcasting industry in 2017, uh, I purchased uh, an investigation firm called Canadian Private Investigation Services. Uh, our primary scope of work is we do work for insurance companies, law firms, um, corporate corporations for brand integrity investigations, and again, with represented clients. Uh, so it, generally speaking, if a client is not represented, uh, we would not work with them. We're, we're very selective on, on the type of clientele that we work with. We just want to make sure that uh, our investigations are lawful uh, and uh, integrity-driven. That's uh, No, that's great. And in fact, that's something we're going to get into. What's lawful, what's not. 
Um, so listen, let's just jump into it, and I'll invite Martin again to jump in whenever uh, he feels like it. Um, so my first question to you, Chris, as a private investigator, when an insurance company hires you to do surveillance, uh, what do they typically ask you to look into, especially when you're dealing with claimants, let's say, for long-term disability? So fundamentally, um, the nomenclature that, that an insurance company uses, whether it's uh, an insurance company for a, an accident or a collision investigation or long-term disability uh, with chronic illnesses, that kind of thing, fundamentally, the way we do our job doesn't change. Their request to us is, is to basically keep an open mind. They, th- th- what they call is an activities check. Uh, they just want to see that uh, an injured individual or a claimant, what they're saying is what they're displaying. Hmm. Okay. So what we're looking for is, I don't go in there say, with, with, with the mindset of this person is you know, uh, fraudulent or injured. I cast a wide net. I observe what is there. I report what is there. Uh, I document what is there. And my goal is not to alter their pattern of activity by anything that I do. So we want, realistically, a clear, unfettered, realistic demonstration of what a a claimant or an injured individual is doing on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so walk us through that. I mean, what does that mean? Do you follow them? Do do you photograph them, survey them, do social media searches? What, what, What do you do typically? So a typical file makeup now, uh, over the last few years, um, the pre-investigation phase, uh, we are going to do a social media search without error, without exception. Um, We are going to see it, you know, hey, they've got a cottage, they're into boating, they're avid skiers. Well, that will change potentially the dates that we do the surveillance. If we know that every year they've gone skiing at a certain location or the May 2-4 is a big holiday and we know they're going to be water skiing at their cottage, absolutely the social media will potentially drive surveillance dates. Um, I don't get a file now that we don't do a, 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 or attempt to do a full social media um, you know, lookup to find out what these people are into. Do they have an adult hockey league? Um, that they, they, they participate in. Are they curlers? Do they golf regularly? We are looking for those activities that may be suggestive of behavior that is inconsistent with the demonstrated disability. Hey Chris, That's it's, a, it's Martin speaking. So when you, when you do conduct these um, online social media um, investigations, it, would it be things like, uh, obviously, Facebook, Instagram? Do you do internet searches where their names appear? What, what exactly is it that you're doing? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, if you're posting about it, we are going to be looking for it. Uh, and a lot of the technology we have now, a lot of the open source information technology, uh, AI does it for us. So we can do it, get a pretty good you know, uh, understanding of what somebody's doing with essentially pretty minimal effort. Um, and, and, and there are specialists that do a phenomenal job. Um, so absolutely, we're looking. I mean, if you're posting and boasting um, while you're on disability, <laughs> probably not the smartest uh, course of action. 
If someone says to me, well, my, my settings are private on Facebook, I don't care what the insurance company does. Um, if the settings are private, obviously I'm not sure if you can answer these questions, but uh, do you approach the, do you try to see what friends these people have to see if they're tagged in photos on other people's Facebook pages? All of that. Um, the, the, and, and the thing is with, with, the, with the open source information technology we have, that'll, it'll be done for us. The, the AI element with these searches now is really quite amazing. You can pull off, you know, a, a easily a hundred-page PDF of, of somebody's activities with, with very little effort. Wow! And Holy that's cow. before we even that's even before we, uh, you know, put somebody in a car and um, monitor the residents. Okay, well let's let's talk about that because we do get even our own clients who sometimes tell us, "Look, there's been a car outside my house for a month now." I mean, is that realistic? Do you, do you park yourself outside of a house for a month? I mean, what, what what kind of surveillance do you do typically or your guys do? I would love a client to hire me for a month to sit on somebody's <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> realistically, no, no. Um, and, and again, if somebody's outside your front door, um, they're probably not um, uh, an accomplished investigator. The rule when doing surveillance is far enough away where I can see your house you know, close enough where I can see your house, but far enough away where you're really not going to see me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, the, the cameras we use, we use high-quality, uh, professional-grade camcorders generally. Um, I don't need to be five doors away. Uh, 100, 150 meters away or more is enough for me to get a full-frame shot of you doing your yard work. Hmm. So, so that does bring me to the question, though, about boundaries. Uh, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, you're not allowed to interact with the subject. Uh, what other boundaries do you, um, I mean, aside from the common sense ones that you just don't want to be seen, what are the boundaries that you have in terms of any interaction or anything that you can't do? You can't go into someone's house, obviously, but you can follow them into a store, for example. Uh, so what kind of things do you typically sort of watch out for or you don't do? Um, where do you draw the line? So... Um, the, the issue is with the technology that we have now, with the cameras that we have now and the discrete nature of things, we don't use phones. We'll have cameras that look like everyday devices, like uh, the key fob remote for your car, um, something like that, a pen, a set of glasses. So realistically, um, you know, if, if, if an individual has a back injury and they're claiming they can only lift 5, 10 or 12 pounds, uh, we can go into a grocery store and document them very easily using an object that doesn't look anything like a camera. So th- from, from a technological standpoint, there really isn't, isn't anywhere that I can't go. We're limited by the criminal code. And some clients will have certain uh, boundaries that they don't want us to do. The best analogy I can use in terms of surveillance is anywhere but a church or a change room. <laughs> Hmm. Wow. No kidding. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. It would be illegal to film somebody in a change room, and we never would because there's an expectation of privacy there. And then some clients will not want religious observances or mourning um, documents because it, it's quite frankly it's quite distasteful to do that. So we're governed by the criminal code uh, in where you can and can't film, uh, trespass to property act, and certain clients will say we don't want certain things um, documented again like a religious observance uh, a funeral something because it's completely distasteful let's be honest 
Yeah. It, no, um, uh, John, we're going to go to break soon. But one of the things I want to ask Chris about is the actual initiating process. I remember when I was working for insurers in the past, uh, when I would be hiring an investigator, this goes back years and years, I would give them some preliminary information about the claimant uh, because they would need to know who it is that we need to survey. Uh, so, so that's one of the questions I have for you now, Chris. Uh, and again, maybe we can do this when we come back from mm-hmm. break is what information typically does the insurance company give you when they first give you a claim that you can look at and what kind of information do you ask the insurance company for in order to get you going on a case? We will get to that after that short break as Savannah Sell will be joined and uh, continue to get joined by uh, Christopher Williams here, President and CEO of Canadian Private Investigation Services. So stick around for that interesting stuff. In the meantime, to get a hold of Savannah or Martin outside the hour of the show, simple one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show, Savannah Tamarkin is here, of course. Martin Willems, representing the West Coast, is also here. And uh, with us talking about the world of private investigation, Christopher Williams, who's president and CEO of Canadian Private Investigation Services. Some really cool stuff so far, Savannah. A little inside peek of, of that world, how it correlates with you, with what you do with the uh, disability law world. So uh, continue, man. I know you got a bunch more questions as we uh, move along here. That's right, John. It's been really fascinating to speak with Chris. Uh, so, Chris, let me just uh, ask you again wh- where we went on break. I was, I was saying, uh, if we go back to the beginning, when an insurance company calls you in, figuratively speaking now, and says, we want you to uh, do some surveillance on this claimant, this long-term disability claimant, this injured claimant, whoever it is, what information do they give you to start your investigation. What is the preliminary information, whether it's about work, personal life, whatnot, and what information do you ask them for? Uh, again, just to start your investigation. So it, it, so we're all covered by DAPEDA. Uh, insurance companies, for the for most part, will only give a, as much information as we need to, to do our jobs um, without, you know, impugning or, 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 or damaging or... Um, you know, taking away the privacy of, of, of the claimant, okay? So I ask a client for, you know, as, as little as I need to do my job proficiently and to maintain the, the privacy of the, uh, the subject. So I don't need to know the intimate details of a claim. I just need to know kind of broad strokes. Okay, is it an arm injury? Is it a back injury? Is it a psych injury? So... Those are the things that I need. And most insurers are really, really good about that. Uh, they're very protective of, of a client's private information. Like, you know, we're not going to get a whole dossier of uh, medical reports and MRIs. They're going to say, look, the individual had a motor vehicle collision. Uh, the, the, the individual has, you know, a long-term condition of this nature. They're actually very guarded and very good about the information they give us. Enough that we need to do the job, basically locate them, uh, maybe some, uh, you know, personal descriptors, you know, a rough idea of the family makeup, maybe a car, those type of things. But they, we're not going to get like a whole dump of their their, their personal information. That that would be inappropriate, it's completely out of bounds, and and quite frankly, completely unnecessary for me to do my job. I'm not performing surgery on them. I'm I'm, I'm watching them for a few days. Okay, and that was that's what I was going to ask you because there would be privacy issues here. So oh, yeah. I mean, at least that's comforting to know that. Uh, insurers do guard this information. 
Um, now, let me pivot a bit. Uh, on break, we chatted a bit about the world of COVID, the world we find ourselves in now. Um, investigations must have changed during COVID. What are the types of things that, uh, that you're seeing now and, and how has your practice changed now that we're dealing with uh, remote working uh, and just all the restrictions and everything else that comes with COVID and the new post-COVID world? I, I'm glad you brought that up because I recently had a file where an individual was working from home, was likely to be continuing to work from home. Uh, they like the working model. Uh, they found some issues where, you know, their their employee was unavailable at certain times. Um, so they had us do surveillance. Well, interestingly enough, even though they had a very, very well-paying job, um, they were also doing Uber Eats um, <sighs> while at Hmm. So they would wow. be picking uh, up orders and doing Uber Eats around their uh, area. So, wow. yes. Well, that's that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, so, so I mean, clearly people uh, <laughs> found new ways, you know, to, to deal with uh, the work obligations, uh, to say it mildly. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, in ter- in terms of um, uh, you know, investigating uh, uh, claimants or, or contacting or or maybe. S- Doing surveillance on the individuals or families. I, I mean, do you do you if, if you're seeing a family at an outing, as an example, and you've identified an individual uh, that is the subject there, do you continue doing your surveillance even though there are other family members there? Because I yeah. mean, a lot of a lot of our clients are very concerned about that. I mean, they're concerned about surveillance in general, but they become even more paranoid because you know they're concerned that their five year old kid is on camera. I mean, h- how do you deal with those kinds of sensitive issues when it's not just a subject; it's a subject with other individuals? in the, in the, in the uh, investigation? I mean, from a legal standpoint, if, it's, if what is engaging is in an area that's open to the public gaze, like a public forum, ultimately there's nothing preventing us from documenting that individual. Um, I mean, am I going to be filming a five-year-old if it's not related to their activity? No. I mean, I, I mean am I going to be... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's one thing if I see a, a, a subject or, or a claimant lifting up a five-year-old that might be 50 or 60 pounds when their limitations are five or 10, that's relevant to the investigation. Um, you know, if I see it, so, I mean, we, we cast a wide net, but the issue really is if it's open to the public gaze, it can be done. It can be, the, the surveillance can be conducted. But I mean, I wouldn't be filming a, a five-year-old or a seven-year-old out of context unless they were having interactions that were relevant uh, related to my subject of the investigation. Chris, mm-hmm. further to that question, you know, we hear from clients quite often who obviously because they're on disability, they, they hear about surveillance, they know that there may be surveillance, they become paranoid. So I'll give me a few questions that I get on a regular basis, which I think mm-hmm. we know the answer to, but it would be helpful for people to hear it from your mouth as well. So things, and clearly the privacy issues are, are, are real. So I've had questions like, can the insurance company hire an investigator to bug my telephone or to get access to my emails or to monitor my internet activity? What do you say to those questions? Absolutely, 100% not. And I don't know how more I can allay the fear of your clients. (laughs) That is illegal. And only people that would be able to do that would be, uh, uh, you know, police officers or intelligence uh, officials with a judicial authorization absolutely not not possible 
I, I think that's helpful hearing it from you as well because we say that as well. But uh, being in that situation, as paranoia becomes a thing. Another one would be, do you, when you, you're surveilling somebody, do you, through that purpose, speak to neighbors or people who these people work, may have worked with? Uh, do you interview other people in their lives? In, in some cases, yes. Um, so that would be kind of a neighborhood canvas. And that does occur, but very infrequently. Um, and, and it certainly would be long after any surveillance had been completed. But also knocking on the neighbor's door, uh, asking certain questions, uh, that's generally quite an embarrassing, a very in-depth mm-hmm. thing. I think yeah. that was more common a, a long time ago. I haven't had requests for something like that in a very, very long time. And I would, if I had a client that asked for a neighborhood canvas, I, I, I really want to know specifically why that was needed, because I think that it's an unnecessary step, and I think it could lead to embarrassment, and you know, get neighbors pointing out the window at that, at, at, you know, my subject. I, I, I don't think there's a great value to that myself. Have you had instances where the insurance company has retained you, and it may be a mental health or a substance abuse issue? And you may have seen something that is quite concerning with respect to the person, the claimant that you're uh, surveilling. And if you've had, how did you act when you saw that? Well, substance abuse issues are huge. It's a mental health issue. It's a recognized disability. I get that. I respect that. Um, however, if I saw somebody go into a bar, um, you know, and we're documenting the fact that they're, they're, they're drinking heavily, and I saw them... Uh, clearly consume too much alcohol, uh, I have an obligation to basically call the police. You know, so, I mean, that would definitely be something I would do. I mean, I'm not going to let somebody I know that's just drank, you know, you know, eight pints of beer and, and, and some whiskey chasers get behind the wheel. If I know that that's occurring, I have a duty of care to at least alert the authorities and, and you know, integrity of the investigation be damned. You know, that's a, that's a risk to public safety. Wow. It's helpful to know. Do you have lots of instructions related to people living or suffering from mental health issues? Again, going back to my previous point, they don't give us a a huge uh, um, understanding of what's going on. They'll say it's a mental health issue, depression, anxiety, um, you know, reduced interaction, those type of things. Like we don't get the whole breakdown. Um, those, and again, I hate to use the term subjective, but with, with mental health issues, believe me, I, I know they're real. They're, they're as real as a broken bone. It, 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 they're real. They're real injuries. So don't don't think I'm minimizing them in any way. But it's very different, you know, type of investigation where somebody might have a broken femur um, or you know, broken pelvis or something like that. Uh, a mental health issue is, is, is somewhat different. Uh, what they're looking for is. Um, you know, reduced interaction, um, those type of things. Are they staying in the house all the time? Are they leaving? What are they doing? So again, it, it, it's a type of activity that they're engaged in. We're not looking for them lifting their blue boxes or, you know, a bag of potatoes at, 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 at a store. We're just looking to see how they're interacting. Where are they going? Where are they spending the time? Are, are they, you know, one of the marked things would be reduced interest in the things that they enjoy. That's what we'd be looking for. What are they doing? Where are they spending their time? That's helpful to know. 
Chris, um, one of the last questions I have is, uh, and again, circling back to what we started with, about the fact that uh, you're not going to have a private investigator outside of a subject's home for a month. When you get a case from an insurance company for a personal injury or disability claim, typically, other than the social media and other kind of online searches, if you do do video surveillance, photo surveillance, how many days would you be contracted to do? Would it be like two or three days at a time for a maximum of five days? Uh, would it be for a full week, a long weekend? Like typically, what is that term, you know, that you're hired for to do surveillance on a subject? It, it, it depends what they're looking for, because it, it does change a little bit. But a general kind of consistent pattern and what I would recommend to a client that may not be familiar is three days Try to incorporate one weekend day. Um, that would be kind of my gold standard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, fair weather days as opposed to poor weather days. Uh, I mean, we're not trying to set them up. We're just trying to, you know, use logic. I mean, you know, if, if we've had a week of rain and somebody, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be choosing the better days to do to do surveillance. Um, you know, that, that's that's sort of the, the thing we do. But typically, two days. Uh, two to four days, uh, and then uh, we'll often be called back. Uh, long-term disability claims generally go on for quite a while, so it's not uncommon for us to work two, three times over, you know, maybe one or two years. Okay, well, listen, Chris, this has been really, really informative. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back. We'll ask you back. Uh, I'm sure we'll get questions from our listeners that we can throw your way. Uh, thank you again. Thank you very much. It's been very, very uh, uh, helpful to have you on and to provide that perspective. Oh, you're very uh, welcome, Mike. Pleasure. That is uh, Chris Williams, again, President and CEO of Canadian Private Investigation Services. Chris, thanks, pal. Yeah, we'll catch up with you at a, a later date, another show for sure. We'll take a short break and get into some of the content we already have lined up for the remainder of the hour. In the meantime, to uh, to reach out when the show's done, either Savannah or Martin, you can do so at any time, one 855 821 email help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. Short break right here, and then coming right back with more of the Disability Law Show. Well, all right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. Love having you here for the uh, remainder. If you've just joined us, we had uh, Christopher Williams on there talking about private investigation, how it relates to uh, long-term disability. We'll have uh, Chris back on at a future date. But uh, to reach out now to Martin or Sivan anytime, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, and the email is help at disabilityrights.ca anytime as well. Really cool having him on here. That was really enjoyable. A bit of an inside peek behind the curtain of what goes on as far as that part of the business is concerned, right? I, I found this really, really interesting, and I'm sure that we're going to have them back on because we're going to have questions, more questions, and mm-hmm. not just from us, but from listeners. And, and you know, one of the things that Martin and I see, um, and it does happen actually, I would say more frequently uh, than not, is individuals who um, are cut off by their long-term disability insurer as a res- insurers as a result of surveillance. Now, I can tell you that in my experience, in the vast majority of cases where someone was cut off disability payments because the insurance company came out and said, we have surveillance showing you doing this or that, and therefore, we don't believe that you are disabled from working, there's always been or almost always been an explanation for what you can see on the surveillance. Remember, the surveillance is a snapshot in time. Now, look, if you say that you can't do this physical uh, labor job because your back hurts and you're in bed 23 out of 24 hours a day and there's surveillance of you playing soccer, that's a problem. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to scam the system, but that's not typically what we see, especially with mental health claims. And so it's really important to understand that if you've been cut off or you're having issues with your insurance company because of surveillance that the insurance company has had done on you uh, and you're concerned, you give us a call. You give us a call. It doesn't cost anything to speak to to any one of us. And we'll chat with you about your case, about the surveillance. Sometimes, by the way, what happens is the insurance company says, here's what we saw, but they don't even disclose the actual surveillance to you. They may give you the report, the verbal report or the written report, but not the actual video or, or the photographs. And I've, I've seen cases as well. And again, sorry, Martin, I'm hogging the, uh, the, 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 the <laughs> show now. But Over. I've seen cases where it was clear cut that the insurance company was gaslighting the individual. They're saying, this is what you know the surveillance is showing. And it didn't show any of that. And yet the person was made to believe that they had done something wrong, almost feeling guilty that they are even questioning the insurance company. And then about to walk away from money that's owed to them by the insurance company. So I don't know what your experience has been, Martin. Maybe you can just t- tell us a bit about that. But I've I've almost never seen surveillance that truly gave a good reason for the insurance company, uh, company to cut someone off benefits. You know, there's so much to be said about it. U- ultimately, it's what we've discussed in other segments. There's this power disparity where the insurance company may deny the claim based on what they say is based on supportive surveillance, meaning surveillance that supports their position that the person is not disabled or that what they're reporting is not accurate. And then the, the individual whose claim is being denied, as Sivan says, feels guilty, even scared and helpless that they have nowhere to go because this massive industry giant has now denied their claim. And they're the ones with the power, they're the ones with the money. So that does happen. Of course, you should reach out to us and speak to us. I've seen lots of cases where there has been surveillance. I've seen cases where there's been, and especially this is why I was asking the question about mental health, because it's a difficult situation to deal with, right? It's not like we were saying there's a chronic pain case. You're saying to the insurance company, you cannot sit for extended periods of time and they've got you sitting potentially two hours on a bench. But of course, you may be paying for that the next day. Everything has to be seen in context. Nothing is ever black or white. It's gray and it's different shades of gray. So when you go back to the mental health component, what do they surveil? You say that you don't really interact with the outside. They have you going to the grocery store and deny you based on that. Well, that, that's a ridiculous denial, it's, but it's actual and it's real because I've seen it. And there's been cases where the insurance company would hire an investigator. They would find that the person doesn't leave the house. The surveillance is so little because Mm -hmm. the person may have left the house for an hour or so. And then the insurance company says, okay, well, let's take a break. It was was a windy or rainy few days. Let's do this when it's summer because they keep trying to get evidence, regardless of what the person is reporting, that they cannot do these things. And then when they do have them having a day where they may go out, do a bit more of activities, then use that as a denial, which again, as Sivan says, it's a snapshot of a reality that is not really reflective of what this person's everyday reality is. So surveillance, you know, we can use it actually in support of our fight against the insurance company. And I've done that. Where the insurance company may look at it one way, then we would also say, but what does the surveillance not show? I mean, you surveil somebody for four days, you've got an hour of them doing a few things, what happened during those other three days? You're silent on that. So there are two ways of looking at it, and we always find a way. 
1-855-821-5900. Best way for you to find a way anytime is to make that phone call and talk to Martin or Savan and uh, get some clarity for sure. So now, what do you, uh, what's the you about that, pal? Um, so, so, John, I actually want to move on to an email that we, we have yep. received uh, this week from a lady. Uh, the subject line of the email uh, is, uh, it says, not sure what to do. Oh, quote unquote. Okay. And here's what she writes. She says, um, hello, uh, I have had LTD approved until the end of May. Right now, the insurance company uh, is making me see a counselor. I've been working with my family doctor and my surgeon. I'm also considering retiring early because I do not agree with what the insurance company is making me do when there is no confirmed diagnosis of a physical personal problem. I need advice, please. That's that's it. Now, we don't have context here. We don't actually know what the disability is, but I want to touch on a few things here. Number one, this person is already on LTD. We don't know for how long that person has been on LTD, but we know that they're on LTD. So, and the reason I'm mentioning this is because they're mentioning that there is no confirmed diagnosis, uh, you know, at the end of the email here. And the reason I'm saying is because sometimes insurance companies deny claims when there is no confirmed diagnosis. So we know there are limitations. We know that we have doctors who say that the person cannot work for this reason or that here, the symptoms, but because there is no diagnosis, we're going to deny the claim. And in the vast majority of cases, that's just not the correct position to take. The vast majority of insurance policies, of long-term disability policies, do not require an actual diagnosis in order to have the person uh, meet the criteria for long-term disability payments. All they have to demonstrate is that they cannot perform the essential tasks of their own occupation within the first two years and then of any occupation for which they're suited for beyond the two-year mark. Now, what this person is saying here as well is that they're considering retiring early. And this is something I think we, we should discuss in a bit more detail because you do have individuals out there who are so tired of dealing with their insurance companies, with the long-term disability insurers, that they figure that the only way to get peace and quiet is just by letting go of their rights, retiring, uh, getting whatever you know pension they can get, no matter how much of a discount they're going to get, and, and just call it quits. And I am really happy that in this case, this person actually reached out. And I really wish more people would have reached out before they made the choice to retire. And maybe when we come back from break, John, Martin and I can dissect that because there are repercussions to re- you retiring. And, and you know there are solutions here when you're experiencing these issues and, and these difficulties with your insurance company. We will do that. In the meantime, write the number down. Keep it. Contact is, uh, is what you're uh, looking for. one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. You have uh, quick memos to be learned about disability questions. Many can be answered. And all you have to do is go to ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq.ca. We'll continue for a few more minutes to go, so stick around as we'll continue with the Disability Law Show. All right, we are back, and still a few minutes to go. Thank you so much for uh, for hanging in with us. You want to reach out to Martin Willems or Savannah Markin. When the show is done, they got a wonderful team behind both of them. Martin's in the West Coast, and Savannah's handling things here, and uh, partly uh, Midwest anyway, I guess if you can call it that, in Alberta as well. But uh, either way, phone number is the same, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get back into what we were talking about, Savannah. John, we're talking about an email we received, an individual who's being cut off LTD, long-term disability, at the end of May. The insurance company is insisting that uh, um, she see a counselor. Uh, there's no diagnosis, but clearly the person is impaired because uh, they're on LTD, so they're unable to work. Uh, she has a family doctor and a surgeon who apparently are supportive of the person being off work. And this person writes, I'm considering retiring early because I do not agree with what the insurance company is making me do. 
And I wanted to touch on the idea of early retirement. You have to, you have to understand that if you're retiring early, first of all, if you're hoping to get a pension, um, that to the extent that you're owed long-term disability benefits, most LTD policies, in fact, everyone I have ever seen, generally contain a provision that states that any pension that you received or most pensions you receive will be credited to the insurance company. So this person here says their LTD benefits are ending at the end of May. Let's assume for a second that the benefits would not end at the end of May, or let's assume for a second that we help that person fight the insurance company and get benefits beyond May, maybe for the next year, two years, five years, who knows? But if this person retires now and gets some kind of a pension, perhaps negotiates some kind of a severance, the insurance company may end up getting a credit for those monies. So there are overlaps between the employment aspect uh, that this person is dealing with, these, the employment issues, and the insurance issues. And we would have to get more information here to understand exactly the the uh, overlap and to understand why this person is is seeking to retire and what the ref- the ramifications will be. But before you consider retiring, if you are dealing with an insurance company that is telling you that your benefits will end, please, please do not simply walk away from your claim. Don't assume the insurance company is correct. Call us. It costs nothing to speak with us. We'll ask you some questions. We'll review some of the documents all for free. And we will tell you what your options are. If at that point you decide that it's just better to retire early and not fight the insurance company or not let us fight the insurance company for you, by all means, do it. But don't walk away from the money. could be a lot of money that's owed to you by the insurance company that's been getting all these premiums all these years. Don't walk away from that money before you understand what your options are. Uh, Martin, I wanted to get you two cents on this because I'm sure this comes up quite often. You know, that was such good advice. I will say the following, and I, you know, it's the point I always try to make is the policy wording is absolute key in these situations. So when a situation like this arises, the insurance company is threatening a denial or they have denied, you're feeling desperate, you know that there is a pension waiting for you, early retirement is in the in the horizon, Maybe I should just go down that road. Speak to us before you do so. And then let us review the policy because not all policies are the same. The policy is a contract, right? So if you do certain things, that may trigger certain rights on the side of the insurance company. And there are policies out there that would provide that if you do take retirement, that is a triggering event that allows the insurance company to terminate benefits. So it's very serious. You should have a discussion with us and we should review the policy wording with you. There's no reason to access earlier retirement if the insurance company has to continue to pay you. And again, it's something that we can help with. So from my perspective, it's great that somebody like this lady has reached out to us and I would encourage anybody else to do the same because we are familiar with policies. We review them every single day. And if the policy allows the insurance company to end benefits, that's very serious. If it, there are other instances where the insurance company may just be allowed to deduct a component of it, but then there's also a loss because now you're accessing early retirement, and if you had waited, you would have had a full retirement. So don't yeah. let the insurance company just benefit from that. Now, I know it's overwhelming, but you know what? Uh, let us fight that fight. It's interesting, Savannah. It almost sounds like after a point, it just becomes thrown in the towel. They're fatigued dealing with the insurance yeah. company. For sure. And I I don't blame people for that. And I also don't blame people, by the way, for being uh, skeptical of what we're saying here. I mean, they're saying you guys are lawyers. This is how you make money. Yeah, you're right. That's how we make money. But we're not going to make money if we are giving bad advice. Not only that, we would not be on air. 
we would not be able to hold our legal licenses. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, w- when we give advice, we give the good and the bad. And we tell people sometimes you have no case. The insurance company is correct. Yeah, I know it's shocking to say that, but it does happen. Insurance companies are correct sometimes, except that most times when people contact us and we review these policies and we review the, the cases, we often see that the insurance company has acted incorrectly, illegally, unjustly, unfairly, and we can do something about it. And that's, that's how we operate. And we do this across all three provinces where we operate, our entire team, day in and day out. That's what we do. Yeah, it's interesting. You often said, or at least in the early days of the show, you would say it's a David and Goliath situation. But you know, we all know how that battle ended, right? I don't think that's changed yeah. at all, right? <laughs> it, it hasn't changed at all. Absolutely, yeah. the David and Goliath uh, analogy is absolutely apt. And Martin alluded to this, stated this, and it's true. The insurance company is the Goliath here, but they don't have the strength or the power that you think that they do. They simply don't. What they have is this mirage that they've created. They've made you feel like you are powerless. And frankly, in many instances, you do feel powerless, not just because of the insurance company, but also because you are dealing with your own issues. You are disabled. You have you know, mental health issues. You have uh, you know, whatever other issues, illnesses, injuries that you're dealing with, not to mention family issues. You, can't, you just don't feel like you can do it. And what we tell you is that we can actually take that fight for you. We can fight the insurance company for you. You don't have to deal with them. You just need to have us in your corner. And, and you know, we have one of our partners likes to say that when we do get involved, we don't, you know, even the playing field, we tilt it in your favor because we know the weak points for the insurance company. We know how to apply pressure on them. We know what needs to be done to get them to pay you what you're owed. But until you speak with us, again, no obligation, but until you speak with us, you won't know what your options are. And that's, that's that black space, and that's where the insurance company really has power when you don't know what your rights are. Guys, a huge show today. Lots covered, so we're going to wrap it for uh, another show. You want to reach out now to Martin or Savant. Here's how you do it. One final time, one 821 5900 The phone number, help at disabilityrights.ca, the email, and you can always use the website. That's free and anonymous for your questions, mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.